Welcome to this week's Point Community Church Sunday Sermon. If you'd like to learn more about the Point Community Church, please visit our website at tpcc.org.au. Well, good morning, and I want to ask a question this morning. What do you think of when you think of church? Perhaps you think of a building of Gothic architecture with stained-glass windows, or perhaps you think of the institution, a legal entity with boards and committees, money and property, or perhaps you think of megachurch, big buildings, big music, big crowds, and a cafe, or think, perhaps you think of small church where everybody knows everybody, or traditional church with formalities and ceremonies and ritual. Or perhaps you think of the charities of the church, all the good that is done in society, all the scandals of the church that hit the news. Or perhaps you think of the unity of the church, all of God's people everywhere, down through the ages, or the divisions of the church in splits and factions and denominations. Or perhaps you think of the church scattered on mission, out into the world, or God's church gathered, preaching the word, devoted to the public reading of the scriptures, praying for all people and praising together. Or perhaps you think of church leadership, because Paul went around and gathered believers, but then he came around again and appointed elders in every church. Or perhaps you think of the ordinances of the church, those things that Jesus said the church should continue to do until he comes back, baptizing and the Lord's Supper. Or perhaps you think of the heavenly church, multitudes before the throne from every nation, tribe and tongue. Or perhaps you think of the local church here in Port Macquarie. Or perhaps when you think of the church, you think of the body of Christ. Lots of different members, eyes and ears, hands and feet, all interdependent, all absolutely necessary, all working together as each one does its part under one head, Christ. Or perhaps you think of the bride of Christ, beautiful on her wedding day. Or perhaps you've been coming to the last two parts of this sermon series and you're thinking of living stones being built into a spiritual house, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a mixing of metaphors, royalty and priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession a place where God dwells by His Spirit, a kingdom of priests to our God. What do you think of when you think of the word church? Perhaps you're more apocalyptic and you think of seven golden lampstands amongst which the risen Jesus walks. What do you think of when you hear the word church? 
There's lots that we could say about church and that's why we're taking eight weeks to enjoy this series about enjoying God's masterpiece. And today we're going to consider just one of the ways that the Bible speaks about his church, uh, God's church, and that is family. And I've actually got my family here from Tasmania today, so we're thinking about family, God's family, um, church as family. So keep your Bibles open to Mark chapter 3, and we're particularly going to be focusing there on verses 31 to 35. Mark 3, 31 to 35. If you've got any questions along the way, um, perhaps flick a message to the number on the screen. Well, apparently the American comedian George Burns once said that happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another country. Well, surprisingly, that seems to be the case for the Lord Jesus here in Mark chapter 3. Because you can see there in verse 20 that Jesus' popularity continues unabated. Have a look at that in verse 20. Then he went home and the crowds gathered again. We've seen this already in Mark's Gospel. And here they are again so that Jesus and his disciples could not even eat. Jesus is very popular with the crowds but... So Jesus is very popular with the crowds, but not so popular with his family, his own family. Have a look at verse 21, the next verse. And when his family heard it, that is of all the crowds gathering again, so they couldn't even eat, when his family heard about this, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. Out of his mind. Now, I would suggest that a loving family, for a loving family, physical restraint is a last resort. I remember uh, taking each of our children to have their childhood immunizations. And I would suggest that physical restraint in a loving family is a last resort. We only do it when it's absolutely necessary and when we're convinced of the greater good. And Jesus' family had come to the conclusion that he was mad. Things, you see, had escalated. Things had gotten out of hand. He was no longer eating. He was no longer taking care of himself. He was neglecting his own physical needs. And so they felt compelled uh, to intervene for his own good, for the reputation of his family. They felt Uh, that they needed to step in and rescue this Jesus to prevent the embarrassment, to hide the dysfunction. 
They felt close to Jesus. They felt ownership of Jesus. They felt connected to Jesus, but not as Lord, but as their responsibility. You see, they have come not to hear the word of Jesus, but to give their word to him. But it was too little, too late, wasn't it? The ship had already sailed, verse 22. The scribes who had come down from Jerusalem were saying, they were already saying, he's possessed. They took it even further. His family thought he was mad, but the religious leaders thought he was possessed. Well, Jesus goes on in this passage, doesn't he, to refute their logic. Their logic actually doesn't stand up. Uh, And then he goes on to warn them of their rejection of him and how they're treating the Holy Spirit. And Jesus uses this occasion in verses 31 to 35 to teach. Let's just read those words again. These are the words we're going to focus on this morning. His mother and his brothers came... And standing outside, they said to him, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Now, J.C. Ryle has pointed out in commenting on these verses that probably no one ever loved their own siblings and mother more than Jesus Christ, surely. And yet for Jesus, there seems to be something that runs thicker than blood. Because here Jesus relativizes his relatives. Who are my mother and my brothers? He leaves his physical family standing outside. Mark is spatially teaching us something by the location of people here. He leaves his physical family outside in order to define who is inside the circle of those sitting around Jesus, the true and real family of God. You see, what is it that defines the family of Jesus? Well, it's verse 35. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Or as Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see, belonging... The belonging comes in the obeying, the obedience of faith. What is this will of God that we're to do? Well, surely it's captured not only in the commands that have come so far in Mark's gospel from Jesus, the commands to repent, turn your life around and believe, that is, put your trust in Jesus. But surely the will of God here is captured in the posture of those seated around Jesus, their teachableness, listening, learning, 
in order to live under the lordship of Jesus. You see, these people have not come to bring their word to Jesus. They've come to receive his. They've come to listen. And so right in the middle of this chapter, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, a chapter about the rejection of Jesus, a new family is forged. And I want to say three things about this. Number one, this is who Jesus wants us to be. You can see that opening word there, can't you, in verse 35. Whoever. This is an open invitation. I remember being invited once for a meal, and Heather and I were not long married. We had one child. We lived in a two-bedroom apartment in Melbourne, and our lounge room was our dining room and our table seated four. It was a small space, but that's all we needed. I remember walking into this home to which we had been invited, feeling very much overwhelmed, outclassed, because their front foyer was nearly as big as our apartment. They had multiple sitting rooms and formal and informal dining rooms and living rooms. There was a sense in which I felt like I didn't belong. In fact, we were most concerned that our baby wouldn't spew on their nice furniture. (laughs) But here is Jesus. He's not asking us over for dinner. He's inviting us to permanently belong to his family. And Mark is presenting him here in this gospel not as a mere man, but as a person of unique status in whose ministry all of the Old Testament promises of God's kingdom are coming true. A man of unique authority over sickness and sin and death and devils and disease. A man who has authority over nature itself. Mark is presenting Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, the King of the world. Surely we should feel like we don't belong, like Mephibosheth at David's table. Only the language of the New Testament of adoption could make sense of this word, this open invitation, whoever. And yet, at another level, surely this is coming home. This is what we were made for. This is why Jesus became a man. Surely this is where we most belong, in the family of Jesus. So that's my first point. This is who Jesus wants us to be. Come home. Belong in Jesus' family. But then secondly, this is how Jesus wants us to think of him. Not just as the King of kings and Lord of lords, but as brother. 
Hebrews 2 verse 11 says that both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. It's incredible, isn't it? One who is holy, not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. John Piper says God's original design finds its fulfilment not merely in redeemed earthly nuclear families, but mainly in the divine family with the Son of God as preeminent brother over his brothers and sisters. This is how Jesus wants us to think of him. And then thirdly and finally, this is how Jesus wants us to think of each other. You see, the New Testament refers to Christians as brothers and sisters over 130 times. In fact, this family language dominates the pages of the New Testament. It is a term of address, brother, sister, that defines the relationship. Brother Apollos, Timothy, our brother. But it is also a term that calls us to a certain type of relationship, way of relating to one another. We are not to despise a brother and sister. We are not to wrong a brother and sister. We are not to go to court against a brother and sister. We are not to speak evil against a brother and sister. We are not to put a stumbling block in the way of a brother and sister. We are to warn one another as brothers and sisters. We are to share food and clothing as brothers and sisters in need. We are to keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. When Paul writes, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity, he writes so that we would know how we ought to behave ourselves in the household, the household of God, which is the church of the living God. In other words, our new identity, our adoption into the family of Jesus, means a radical new way of now relating to one another. I grew up mostly living away from my extended family, my grandparents on both sides, my aunts and uncles and cousins. When I grew up and moved away from home, I was living as a single man away from my immediate family as well. Now that I'm married with children, we have family scattered all over the globe. And yet at every stage and in every place, I have always had family in the local church. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. 
You see, it is wonderful. to experience the care and community of Christ's earthly family. And yet even the healthiest and happiest homes here on earth suffer dysfunction, this side of the fall. And this side of heaven, even the church is not immune This week I had the opportunity to ride my bicycle up North Brother, that mountain behind Lauriton. I had two aims. One was not to get off on the way up. The other was not to fall off on the way down. (laughs) But as the gradient continued steeper and steeper and my limbs grew more fatigued and weaker and weaker, it was tempting to get off. About three quarters of the way up, I came to that part where there's been a bit of a landslide and the road narrows and there is a sign there that says, do not stop. Well, there were no other cars around, but I thought, that's actually exactly what I need to hear right now. (laughs) And I made that my mental talk, my self-talk, until I reached the top and the early morning sunlight looking over the coastland, stretching both ways. It was beautiful. Now, we know that there is a beautiful destination for the family of Jesus Christ. One day, we will be perfect. but we can be very tempted. It's a long way to the top, isn't it? We can be very tempted to get off, to stop going, to give up. Church can hurt. But I hope that today, is a narrowing of the road and a big sign saying, do not stop. Keep going. Push through. It's worth it in the end. Look to your elder brother, Jesus, who has gone before us. He is perfect. You may think that By coming to church, you're not doing anything special. But if Mark chapter 3 teaches us anything, it shows us that the mere act of sitting with others at the feet of Jesus to listen and learn distinguishes us from those who are outside, does it not? It identifies you and me as brothers and sisters and mother, as the family of Jesus Christ. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Someone once asked me if you can be a Christian and not go to church. That's a very good question, isn't it? 
it's a hard question to answer. I think it's a foreign concept to the pages of the New Testament, but here's what I know. Jesus walks among the candlesticks. If you want to find Jesus, go to church. When Jesus called his disciples to him in this chapter, he called them to himself to be with him. And in doing so, to be with one another. If you want to find Jesus, go to church and do not stop. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for that little word, whoever. Lord, we long to be brothers and sisters, members of your family. Help us now to keep on loving one another and listening the feet of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our latest sermon, or better yet, join us live at 9.30 or 5pm Sunday. You can find all the details on our website at tpcc.org.au.